I totally don't mean to be like a Chrome hipster, but I am I am really getting to the point where it feels like Chrome is way too big. It's getting there's way too much stuff and Google doesn't seem to be slowing down at all. Like they're adding in payments APIs to the desktop browser in Chrome 60. They are making it uh they're re they're re-engineering the way that it handles your mouse cursor and they're just they're doing a lot of improvements. So I, I gotta give them credit. Like it's it's making steady progress, but it's getting a little ridiculous as to the amount of things that Chrome can do. And it's the versioning is just getting out of control. It's like version sixty is the new beta. It's 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 nuts. And not that not that Firefox is too much better. As we record, they just released version fifty four this morning. But this is what's awesome about fifty four. And maybe Wes, maybe I know you were joking about switching back to Firefox, but this could be it here because they're bringing the multiple process system to other operating systems besides Windows. Hey, that's yeah. exciting. Yeah, so it's it's like I have been waiting for that. Me too. <laughs> me too. Me too very much. So it's like I'm looking at while well, I'm looking at Chrome right now and I'm going there's some there's some extensions like template is just such an awesome extension for uh composing our show notes. It's so great. What is man. that? What does it do? Game changer. It's a game changer. I don't know about this. I'm it's, not hip. It's an extension that uh lets me so you see so take this paragraph right here. Mm-hmm. You got uh you got a title that's probably like a, a like a, a header 5 maybe or header 4. It's probably header, probably a header 3 or 4. Then you have a paragraph here yep. that that has uh um some links in it. It looks like it has two separate links and what I can do, which is really great, is I can I can highlight this text on this web page. I can right click. Everybody's going to steal this from me now. I can go to template, and then I can say quote and link. And what's what's great about it is, uh, so if I go to text edit here, not test edit, but if I go to text edit, what it's produced for me is uh, simple, easy, clean Markdown, where Ooh. it's it's given me a Markdown link for the URL. It grabs the uh, the title of the website. That's handy. And uh, it looks like it was a header too. Um, and so it, it doesn't actually accommodate header two, ironically. But if, say, there wasn't a header there, it would put the, the text I selected in a markdown block quote, and then it does reference links for all the URLs in that. That's neat, yeah. Now, you, as somebody who does this 200 times a day, you can imagine how nice it is to yeah, not have to. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, that's it's a huge part of what I'm doing for all of our show research mm-hmm. all the time, for all the shows every single day. Uh, and it is so handy, especially like when we're on the air and say, you know, Ike says something that's that's like really something I want to cite in the show notes. Like, yeah, go grab this thing here or here's the here's the post where he talks about this. I can quickly, while I have it up on my screen, grab that text and go drop and it. It's pop- already ready for right in the dock. Yep. And then it goes out as part that's of the show super notes. Super handy. So I no love those things. No messing. But I bet you somebody out there in the audience could come up with a way that's not a browser extension because that's what I'm going for here is let's just get off the browser extension sauce completely and come up with other methods to do that, to other ways to process text. Now, I don't know exactly. It would have to be probably something that can read my clipboard because I could copy it into my clipboard and then something that could read my clipboard and output structured markdown for me would really be all I need. And then I could start switching to Firefox. I could do GNOME Web. I mean it, it really wouldn't matter at that point. And I think that's the direction to go. And once I replace some of these things that I can only do in my browser with other tools that are just more operating system based, then I think I'm going to go back to Firefox, which would probably be a couple of releases down the road where this stuff's landing. It could be one big kumbaya, Wes. Oh, kumbaya. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 201 for June 13th, 2017. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly talk show that has a show so good this week, we probably should have made it our 200th episode. 
My name is Chris. My name is Wes. You know what, Wes? Sometimes you you roll the dice and you have a 200 episode where nothing happens, and then the next week it's like, oh damn. Now that's the party. So I'm really excited because we've got some great follow-up stories of things we've talked about recently in the show just a couple of weeks ago. A project that I think doesn't get enough attention has a new release. Then we'll get into a couple of new stories that we haven't talked about. Do a deep dive into Fedora's, or I guess Red Hat's cockpit, the security of it. Some interesting choices they've made. We'll discuss the new Fedora 26 beta as well. And then the Internet's friend, Ike, that's what I'm calling him now, everyone's favorite distro maker joins us to discuss his big news and the resulting huge news for Solus users. And then, I'm really happy to announce that something that was locked down to Windows users and proprietary systems will be opened up to all of us. And it was opened up in such a big way. And then, I was so impressed by the project, I did a little deep diving and discovered... There it is. Discovered the source of something magical. Maybe I'm overselling it a bit. But I can tell you it's better than a keyboard. If Apple can call a keyboard magical, I'm definitely calling... Can and does. Yeah, they can and do currently. Yeah. I'm calling this story magical. And that's more magic than their magic. So I, I think it holds up. I think it holds up. A lot of good stuff to get into. A lot of fun stuff. And uh, we, have, uh, we have ourselves, as always, a traditional virtual lug. Time-appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Time-appropriate greetings. Hello. Hello. Good day. Hello. Howdy. Hi. Hello. Hello. Howdy. Yeah. We'll let them be the judge of if you're uh, overselling this or not. Yeah, you think so? Mm-hmm. They were so quiet. They did so good. Like, uh, I don't know if you heard. Like, not I, a peep. I would like. I paused right before I introduced them because I had to. I had to like double check the soundbar. I looked over and like, shit. I didn't mute them. I usually mute them, but you know, we were just you know shooting the shit before the show, and so I just I I muted you and hi. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Left them unmuted during the intro. And during that whole setup of the show, and none of you guys screwed it up. That is, we love you. Really, I best best audience in podcasting. I swear to God, it is so amazing. You guys are literally more professional than me today. It's it's by far job well done. I got so excited about the new Firefox that I I lost my head. Uh, So let's start with some follow up. The the uh, the big GNOME survey that uh, Joey published um, on OMG Ubuntu. I didn't know when we were going to... I actually didn't know if we would hear the results. I, could it could be months. Sometimes those things like, don't, you know... Maybe we'll find out when they ship the LTS version <laughs> yeah, of this the... This is what you wanted. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no. No, the results are in. And uh, I don't know. I don't find them to be uh, too too shabby. But uh, I would say overall, my reading of Joey's post on OMG Ubuntu was a little disappointed. He was like, well, a little uncommittal on some of this stuff. But check out some of these numbers. And uh, congrats to OMG Ubuntu for pulling this all in. Um, can you, do you hear that? Yeah, you're squeaking. That's my chair. You're so squeaky. I gotta get some ranch hand on that thing. Ranch hand, Wes. That's better than WD-40. Get some ranch hand. So a massive 18,330 people took part in the survey. There were eight questions, if you recall. They were all optional. And they just asked people to rate how useful they considered various GNOME extensions on a scale of one to five. One being not useful and a fiver being very useful. The first question was about the dash to dock extension. Yeah. And 17,948 people participated in that question. And 80% of them, Wes, rated dash to dock as a three, four, or five. 80% people of people thought at least it was useful. 
Um, and this is where I think uh, Joey's uh, maybe a slight disappointment seems to come through to me. And I don't mean to put words into his mouth. I might be misreading this. But he says, Dash to Doc's pop. This is, uh, he said, it seems like a slam dunk to him. So Canonical responds, Dash to Doc's popularity doesn't necessarily mean we should ship Dash to Doc as an extension by default, but rather it shows us our users would like the Doc to be visible at all times or shown hidden automatically, as opposed to only shown in the activities view. He says that sounds uncommittal by Canonical and sounds like it almost like their intention is to persuade GNOME upstream to add dash to doc functionality in. Interesting. Which sounds like the beginnings of a rift. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's how things start. We got this great idea for notifications or the way uh, system tray icons should be handled. Hey, here's some here's some suggestions in code. What do you think? And GNOME says, well, we've already got that figured out. Thanks, though. Yeah, I guess it all depends on uh, on how the up, upstream would take it, right? Would you want dash to dock features built into GNOME? Would you use that? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I have it on every GNOME system. I find I'm not a big fan of hidden UI elements to begin with, especially for anybody who's using a system for a first time expert user or total noob. When you rely on certain incantations, aka gestures or putting your mouse in a certain corner to get the menu, or knowing that there's a particular button on your keyboard that you should press to activate that menu. Uh, I think you're you're expecting too much from the end user. They sit down in front of most interfaces in their life, and like say their car, or a drill, or a microwave, and everything's laid out in front of them, and then it's up to them to deduce how to operate that machinery, and their intelligence will either make them more successful or less successful. But when you completely hide the interface from them, there's literally nothing for them to grok. There's nothing for them to intuit from it. There's nothing for them to instinctually poke at. And so they either have to know, well, on a lot of systems, if I flick up from the bottom, or I know that on Windows, if I press this key, it brings up the start menu, which most users don't know, it, 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 I find it to be poor UI design. And I, so yes, to me, Dash to Dock is a, is a must. Just like I also agree with 90% of the respondents who said that top icons is useful. 90% of the respondents say, yeah, we want t- top icons. And I think, it, again, this is another one of those, you have this little nubbin that likes to sit there and flatulate down in the corner of your uh, of your GNOME desktop. And it's it's irritating as fuck, especially when you have a full-screen application, which, by the way, GNOME encourages you to use. So anytime you're interacting with the UI down there, you have this stupid little thing flatulating down there. Nobody likes it. Plus, again, it's hidden UI. And so I, I can completely become unaware that I've left Nalaeus sucking down resources <laughs> in the background when it hides the icons or yeah. that Skype is logged in. These are things that I like to have a heads-up display about so I am aware of these applications sucking down resources in the background. You're saying your, your shell should like tell you about the applications yeah. that you're running? and I think most GNOME users agree. So there's certain, there's certain obvious things like this that I think if Canonical were to go to GNOME and say, well, duh, guys, you should be doing it this way, they go, well, screw you. We intentionally didn't design it that way. I don't know. Maybe I, maybe Ike, do you think my reading of this is too extreme? No. Well, not overly extreme. <laughs> <laughs> Appropriately extreme. I find, yeah. I mean, I, I guess. An appropriate level of extremity. <laughs> so I find some of these answers, too, to be pretty obvious. Would you agree with that? Yeah. I mean, I mean, if you compare what uh, Ubuntu was shipping before versus what they're going to go now. A lot of it feels polar opposite and isn't going to be discoverable by their user base. So if you look at things like top icons, they're kind of a must-have. And as for the dash to the dock, well, that kind of speaks for itself. And then to say that perhaps it's not as important, it doesn't quite add up in my head. 
They Maybe all, it's just me. Yeah. They, uh, I can, I can, I can totally see them either implementing it on their own or, or uh, just shipping the extensions. Uh, I don't think Canonical has to play hardliner here. So they have the, they have sort of an advantage. Okay. If you guys want to do it upstream, we are happy to do that. But if you don't want to, we'll, we will package up these extensions and we'll maintain them and make sure that we test them before we ship you package upgrades to GNOME. And yeah, I mean, that either, be either of those sound okay. Yeah. The, uh, so practically to end users, I, I think they'll still get the functionality. It was the uh, the, <laughs> the most divisive result. Can you guess what it was? Like, of course, you'd have to remember all of the different options. So it's not a fair question. But uh, <laughs> it's one that Joe and I just talked about in Linux Action News oh. on Monday. No top, uh, no top left hot corner and the applications menu, which is, uh, I think, pretty not, not surprising because we've also talked about in this show. They were the biggest deviations from GNOME's core design. Right. The applications menu gives you, you know, that drop-down applications. And the left trigger area, which is – I think really Gnome was almost reliant on people accidentally triggering it to discover <laughs> how to use the, op, the desktop. But uh, it will, It's inevitable. It will happen. And then the last one, which is cut right down the middle. And this is the one Joe and I were talking about actually. Window controls, left or right, which they're on 1710 beta right now or alpha. They're on the left like, like right? a Mac, yeah. like a damn dirty Mac. But uh, – <laughs> I don't really care. Yeah, is there like a, I don't whatever. I I know how to. Why close the hell a is it not configurable? Yeah, I mean, uh, I suppose that could be. Yeah. If I if I if I switch over to Arc, do they stay on the left? Mm. That would be that would be a bit of a pain in the butt. Anyways, so there you go. Follow up on the uh, follow up on the uh, survey results. I, I I find the whole thing to be um, sort of a good inclination or a good um, not inclination but a good uh, forecasting or foreshadowing. Of where all this is going. Um, and I'm really kind of happy we got to see some of the results. I wasn't sure. It doesn't tell us what their decisions are going to be. No, it does not. Yeah. But hopefully we'll see some upstream activity or, uh, I don't know, actual decisions forthcoming. You know, in some ways, I'm really glad they're not saying what their decisions are because it gives them the opportunity to try different things out, go yeah, all in on an idea. Get, then, right, yeah. Hopefully they like they can land on an idea that it will yeah. actually work and they can invest in it. It allows them to bounce around without being constrained by constrained by the things they've promised mm-hmm. um so it's probably a good thing that they're not and and really the 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 the, the core truth will just be whatever ships yeah right exactly <laughs> so <laughs> okay one more story that's sort of breaking today as we record the show i've been trying to do these sort of the top mm-hmm. not to talk not to take away from uh from uh i'm less news coverage i've been doing a little less news coverage in this show and trying to do more community stuff more project stuff um more uh, uh, things that I think are applicable to daily Linux users, people who live and breathe in Linux, but uh, stuff that's not stuff that's really super news heavy and headliney. I'm sort of saving for Linux action news. That makes sense. And so I'm kind of shifting some of the tone of some of this stuff to be more like uh, community projects and things that are, are sort of underreported, but really great sources of discussion or really interesting things happening at and. I've been enjoying it more and more, and one of the projects I'm kind of including in that, because I don't think it really gets a lot of discussion, it's maybe just more of a, of a small community focus. People who love it really know it, but we never really discuss it, and it's Open Media Vault, and Open Media Vault 3 actually shipped today. Whoa! It's been, yeah. Uh, it's been in, I mean, it was close to shipping when I reviewed Open Media Vault months ago. Uh, and so it is using Debian 8, Jesse, as you okay. would probably expect. Yep. They've totally, quote-unquote, refactored the back end. And they have, quote-unquote, adapted that back end to systemd. Hey. 
Yeah. Moving with the times. That's yeah. good to see. Seems like that's probably kind of um, obvious since mm-hmm. Debian made the switch to systemd. Anyways. Um, hey, they I, wrote new unit files. And... Yeah, that's true. Also added support for extended FAT, which will be nice for people hooking up ex- external devices to import them into their open media vault. LVM Im- snapshots. Yeah, and re- improved. I really, yeah, LVM snapshots is good. And uh, improved USB and rotational storage device detection. Hmm. I brought this one up because I think this is a direction I want to go with the Open Media Vault server I set up for Angela months ago. Is I want to, I was considering setting up another one here at the studio eventually, mm. and then setting up some sort of rotational backup system between her place and this place. That would be pretty slick. Yeah, yeah a little offsite exchange, and maybe something like because we're talking terabytes and terabytes and terabytes and terabytes of data. So maybe something like I, I maybe I could do the initial initial moving of data would still probably take days and then like it syncing over the internet would probably be sufficient after that i don't know something i was considering so i was really happy to see that go into open media vault 3 as well no more i386 though yeah i mean you can still install it i guess but they will no longer be making an iso image yeah i first at first i was like so what but then i was like actually one of the really nice things about uh, free nas and open media vault is this whole take something that you are maybe going to toss or has been sitting around in your garage or whatever for, for months or years and get new life, get new use out of it. And yeah, I think, that's true. I think this that's, is my old rig. It don't need much. You know, I'm not doing yeah. a crazy array, but I can buy a little extra RAM, put some disks in it. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. That's a good point. Mm-hmm. You know, Mr. West, last week was our 200th episode. Is that right? I know. And in, and in uh, tradition, we were uh, um, pretty unplanned, pretty unorganized. I mean, this is the quote-unquote unplug show, which uh, – Suffers from time to time from proper planning. I, I admit that was that is part of the, it is a design flaw, if you will. But we we are making up for it in a big way. On America's birthday, Tuesday, July fourth, two thousand seventeen, we will be having a virtual lug become a real lug. Wow, how about that? It's not virtual when you're going to actually be yeah, here. Well, just we are inviting it's hard not to say though. We are inviting you, the lug out there, to come join us in person here at the JB One Studio for a little barbecuing or. Um, <clears throat> Noah has advised me to call it grilling. Fair enough. I've been advised by my counsel. But we didn't invite him, so it's fine. <laughs> you know, you should tell him he's not invited because then he would show up. Ooh, so, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> that's, that's a little, uh, little Noah trick for you there. Tell him he can't do something and he'll do it. Uh, sorry, Noah, you can't come. You just absolutely cannot come. I don't think you could pull it off. I don't think you have the it's means. not really to... your crowd. Uh... Yeah, and I just don't think you could make it happen. So uh, there you go. Maybe now we'll see him. Uh, yeah, so that'll be uh, that'll be uh, streamed to some degree. I'm not exactly sure how the hell we're going to do that since we'll be outside. But uh, people have um, – well, it's already been committed, so I'm going to try to make that work. I, don't, I wasn't, I wasn't, conf- I wasn't uh, conferred with on that decision, but uh, I can try to make it happen. But uh, be here. Dustin's going to also be here, Suveen. I might have another Suveen going. I don't know. Oh. There has been rumors of ribs as well. Wes? If you got any uh, inclinations of something you'd like to make, you are welcome. Okay. You know, like a, like a nice, uh, I don't know, macaroni and cheese. No, I don't know. Fruit salad? I don't know. Oh, I could I bring some uh, Hawaiian mac salad. Yes. What? Oh, really? Heck yes, I can okay, do there that. You go. Absolutely. Shit, Coming right up. Get down on that. We're going to have, anyways, we're going to celebrate 200 weeks, I think without interruption, too, of the Unplugged program on July 4th, uh, which is not too long before I hit the road and uh, head off to Montana. So I we we'll talked a little bit about that in user error, but I will be gone shortly after that. I think actually, I think I leave the weekend after that uh, barbecue. So we have the barbecue on the fourth of July, yeah, and then I leave on the fourteenth. So I uh, okay, so I'll be back. I'll be here for one unplugged after our okay. barbecue yeah. one, 
and then I'll be on the road. If we survive. <sighs> if the studio doesn't get burned down. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be able to make it, we I don't think we're having, you know, probably it's going to be a small crowd because not only is it only people in our neck of the woods are going to be able to make it, which is, you know, the tiny percentage of the audience. Yeah. But then half the people that go that say they're going to go don't show. And people have, you know, jobs and yeah. kids and yeah. in lives too. Yeah. We but, get that. But of course I'm going to I'm going to buy enough food for all the people that say they're going. Yeah. So those of you who do make it, we're going to eat. There'll be food. It's going to be great. We're going to have a very food coma episode that week. Anyways, meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. If you think you could make it, we'd really like to see you. And uh, toss in there. We got a little conversation going. Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting to have uh, Wes and Chris cook for you. That's right. (laughs) That's what we're doing for 200 episodes. What the hell? Who thought? That was my idea, too. They should be cooking. Making more work for us. They should be. Damn it, Wes. Take this down. Take this down, Wes. For episode 300, the audience cooks for us. Okay? Can you, thank you. Make, yep. Make, oh, yeah. make a memo. Note is made. That. Yep. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Next time. You know, I, I'm new to this. I'm still learning. I'm still Someday. Learning. Someday. Yeah. Linux.ting.com. Go there to support the show. And if you sign up, you'll get either if you bring a device or if you got no device, you're going to get a great deal. You get $25 in either purchase power off a phone or $25 in service credit. Now, you're like, Chris... $25? Yeah, I know it's $25 because $25 matters. Average Ting line, it's going to be $23 per month per phone. So that's what, so you get $6 just for the line. I'm going to break this down for you right now. Ready, Russ? Ready? Like you never heard Let's before. Hear it. Let's hear it. $6 for the line and then just whatever you use, that's what you pay for the minutes, the messages, and the megabytes. Oh, I got the chair squeak in there yeah. too. That was good. I hope that showed up on mic. Hold, me, hold on, let me see. Hold on. Did I get it in there? Did I get it in there? See, the chair squeak's important. The chair because that tells you I'm a thrifty person, and so you can trust He's my recommendation. Spending money all over <laughs> yeah. town. No, no, because I'm going to buy equipment for the no. studio. No. no, it literally impacts the broadcast. It infects the job. And I, 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 I'm you know what? I just I'll tell you what. When I see a good deal, I'll get a chair. And when I saw a good deal, I win it and I got ting. Linux.ting.com. That's where you go to support the show and get the twenty five dollar credit. Now I, I think you're probably going to have a device that works. Check their BYOD page to be sure. But they got a CDMA network and they got a GSM network. And so that's a lot of network. And that means it's going to work with a lot of phones. You have a great dashboard, nationwide coverage, no contracts, no early termination fee. You just pay for what you use, however much you talk, however much you text, however much data you use. That's what you pay for. Like me, I'm all on the Telegram. I don't I, – I, a month or more since I've gotten a text message. What I what I would what I tend to get is either an SMS alert about a system being down or a two factor thing on one of my services that I use. That's maybe like three or four like text messages, it's maybe nothing. one a week. Yeah. There's no way I'd want to pay for more than that. There's just it's just a waste of money. It's just a waste. I'm pissing in the wind. Is that the same? Like throwing money into the wind? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'd be like pissing on money and throwing it in the wind, which then it would just come back yeah, wet no and one smack me in the it's face. Gross now. It's You've super gross. I don't care. I don't care. Like it's just don't want it. It's a waste of money. It was literally a waste of money. Linux.ting.com. Great devices, either from Ting directly or you can bring your own. And they have fantastic customer service great dashboard and a blog that i follow and this one i'm going to put out there as a probably the best retrospective i've read on pokemon go looking back at it really what it was about was augmented reality becoming a thing and i think long term that's what we're going to take away you don't really see people walking around playing uh, write a passage for ar there exactly it's so it's a good it's a really good write-up on it and uh, on ar in general and the state of ar in the market and 
where it's going and the different vendors that are getting in on it, including Google and Apple and even Facebook in there and Samsung. It's just a, it's just a great write-up. Start, start if you want to read that, but start by going to linux.ting.com. <laughs> they got a picture of a dog with a Ting sticker too. Linux.ting.com. You go there, look around. And even if you're not ready to switch to Ting, I recommend their blog. It's a good resource for pretty much any enthusiast out there. Linux.ting.com. It's a shame our uh, friends from uh, Canonical couldn't join us this week because I'm about to talk about their favorite subject right now, and uh, that would be snap packages. Snap packages have finally gotten something that flat packs can do, and um, they essentially make the snap packs smaller. So take Corebird, a Twitter client. It's about 2 megabytes. The flat pack would be about 12 megabytes, and the snap of Corebird... 112 megabytes. That's good, right? I mean, you want you get more software that way. <laughs> holy, holy, holy shit. Holy shit. And see, the thing is, is Flatpaks are able to take advantage of shared GNOME stuff, shared, like, stuff outside of just that Flatpak, like the uh, GNOME platform runtime. Um, so snaps are essentially getting functionality close to this. Now, that's my rough understanding. Um, like I said, I don't want to misrepresent what it is, but my, my understanding is, is that now if, uh, if there is a GNOME platform snap, you could pull that in as part of Corebird. So I think you would still be pulling that stuff down if you don't have it originally. Right, but it's then would be shared yeah. across different apps that all use GNOME. Yeah. Um, Ike, do you, do you have a better understanding of any of this than I do? I'm assuming you must. Um, yeah, I mean, they're basically doing the same sort of thing at the moment as Flatpak is doing. That's- yeah basically what it comes down to, bundling up the shared library. So you've got this shared, dare I say, dependency uh, to deduplicate the dependencies between the apps. So while the app may appear smaller, you still have that initial cost of that runtime. But once you've um, installed it's one app between that, yeah. loads of right. Yeah. And at the moment, I believe it's limited to GNOME only. Um, I'm not really sure how scalable this is going to result in being, though. Because while the norm is a very specific platform, if you start getting things that have these custom patch libraries and that, you know, it, it's not going to work there. Hmm. As soon as things are bundled in their mm-hmm. own libraries, you just can't deduplicate them. So right. time will tell. I mean, it's an early start, but it's a good start. Time will tell if people don't end up just bundling their own GTK stuff so that way it works and is stuck right. to the versions they expect and has the right theming mm-hmm. and functionality. That option's there now. I mean, they, some may there. use the shared stuff and some people may find it's just more practical to just bundle it all themselves. I don't know. Uh, speaking of flat packs, though, uh, there is a bit of a fundraiser for infrastructure for FlatHub, which I'm a I'm I think FlatHub is a necessary thing for if we're going to have if flat packs are going to be sustainable. I think uh, uh, like you don't a hub, like get them from GitHub and then compile them yourself, Chris, or and- some or some GNOME developer's blog where he just updates it every few months with new links. No, that's not been working for me very well. And what I like that what Robert's doing here, Robert McQueen, is he also is intentionally trying to make this uh, outside of GNOME. So this is this is more than GNOME. This is a bigger deal. So. Uh, the GNOME Foundation agreed to support FlatHub by offering uh, support for legal advisors and whatnot. So we sat down with them to figure out the best way to get the initial ball rolling in all of this. And GNOME has also offered their sysadmin to help with some of the setup and monitoring. But his intention is to keep FlatHub infrastructure independent from GNOME so they can make their own app decisions about making it easier to install proprietary apps, collecting donations for app authors, etc. So uh, he wants to build up an infrastructure, and he's trying to raise, um, I think, a hundred pounds. Uh, no, I'm sorry, eight hundred. And 
and he's already raised as of this post five hundred thirty two. Oh, that's great. But uh, it's, it looks like it's a paypal.me slash ramcq if uh, you want to donate, paypal.me slash ramcq. I think if you're perhaps – I don't know if this is a thing that exists in our audience. But if you're an end user who's an advocate of flat packs, this seems like a pretty good thing to get behind, mm-hmm. the flat hub. Um, and I, I, I applaud Robert's decision to try to keep it a separate thing. I think that's a really good idea. Yeah, I think so too. It's obviously a, you know it's a very useful gnome tool. But speaking of gnome and Red Hat, and well, why not mention Fedora? Fedora twenty six beta is out today as we record. Ah, I lied. There was one more hat breaking story today. And you uh, I was going to come on here and give you a, like a, my first takes. So I downloaded it, I installed it, and um, you converted. No, I mean it's it's uh, it's Fedora. It's um, it's it's great. I mean, it's fine. It's it's fine. It's fine. It's just uh, it's just a revving of Fedora. It's like GNOME three point two four. Quiet March. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah, it's exactly it. So I checked out Fedora Workstation, and I uh, it's got a new background, uh, which is the one I have up on the screen right now, and that was uh, what I took away from it. <laughs> you know, it's because uh, because it if you're already on GNOME current, there's nothing different. So when you install Fedora 26, it's just GNOME 3.24, mm-hmm. and it's great. It's fine. It looks like a good, solid release. I installed it with no issues. Its performance was fine, but I don't have anything else to report. I thought I'd have a nice little uh, little bit of journal, uh, journalism moment there and uh, do a little d- deep dive on a topic, and yep. I walked away with realization that uh, this is why distro reviews are not really a thing I do anymore because <laughs> there's just nothing there to really talk about. It's a great release, and it, if it's you want to— uncanny value, valley of distro reviews right. where it's just good enough. It's like it, what it is. It's it sounds like what Mark Shuttleworth was talking about early on when they're like, "We're just gonna ship GNOME, and we're not really gonna touch it. And if you just want a GNOME workstation, fine." That's what this is. It's if you want a nice workstation and it has GNOME and it's got a decent package manager on it, you know, like fine, have it done. You're good. They're not screwing yep. around. There's, yeah, it's so that's what it is. So I instead decided to spend. I would a, listen to a whole thing where you just gave like really sarcastic and unenthusiastic reviews or like short little you know it's funny you say that of distros. i was actually thinking about doing a special for the patrons uh called the linux critic where i would just do that That sounds fun yeah you should but i wouldn't publish it publicly because i would you know want to hurt feelings yeah there's bridges and all those yeah exactly yeah it always causes controversy but just for the for the patrons the uh the linux critic i thought would be a good that would be that would be fun yeah I have a few. I have a few. Some of our, I could take some of our Slack discussions we've had. A little drunk, and then. uh... Oh God! I don't want to get people offended, but uh, yeah, no, we've had some good Slack conversations that don't make it on air because, like, uh, it's a little bit. Some of it's sometimes slightly satirical. Uh, Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. Ahrs, ahrs, ahrs is just add warning satire to it, and I think maybe that's what I would do, but. so you never know. You may see the uh, – I should just do it now because somebody's probably going to steal the idea. So I decided to spend my time since I wasn't uh, just, uh, you know, spending all my time deep diving into Fedora. There's just not a lot to, to really – to parse for me. It's just a great release. But I thought maybe I'd spend a little time digging into Cockpit. And so I was reading in and I saw on uh, on um, Steph's blog, I think his name is, uh, he was doing a deep dive himself. And I thought, okay, well, let's go through some of his stuff. I have it installed on a DigitalOcean droplet. So I was kind of doing some side-by-side comparisons to kind of confirm what he said. And uh, I liked it. I I liked what I found. And I'll link you to his conclusions as well. 
I thought one thing that was interesting is that Cockpit actually runs as an alternative Linux session. So unlike your uh, your webmins or, or your cPanels of the past that are running as an Apache, uh, you know, Apache servers listening and and executing the pages, or their webmin where it's a self-contained thing, this but it's it's listening as a remote port. This is actually using Pam and LogInd and TTY, and if you have SE Linux, it's those things are being applied. So this – just right off the beginning, I was impressed with how Cockpit is getting you logged in to your Fedora system. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, Cockpit itself has no special privileges. It's the credentials of whatever user you log into. So uh, this is – I thought, OK, this is fascinating. So if I log in as Chris F., uh, I can perform exactly the task that Chris F. logged into that system has access to or – more importantly, I can't do anything that I don't have access mm-hmm. to, which is hugely important for a remote, uh, remote administration tool. And I'm like, how, how the hell then? How the hell am I able to do all of these amazing things even though I'm authenticated as my user? Well, essentially by using sudo. So when you log in to Cockpit, there's a little checkbox that says reuse my password for privileged tasks. You know, so instead of like remember my password, which is what you normally see, it's use my password for privileged tasks. And like you're probably guessing right now, it's essentially using policy kit in the background to sudo me and uh, perform admin tasks that my, that I would be able to do via sudo. Which is also, I think, a brilliant way to do it. And then I, then I thought, well, okay, well, this is great and all. But what if I don't want to expose my server to the web? Is there, is there a way to still use Cockpit since it's a web-based tool? And uh, Cockpit itself typically listens on TCP port 9090, where uh, you then connect to that and it'll launch appropriate uh, software. And then, okay, but, you know, anytime you have anything facing the network, uh, it's essentially a security risk. Anytime a, a computer is listening to the network there is the potential for uh, exploiting it and something that executes code on the other end. Yeah. So this is, you know, a thought. So what I, what I, really, what I learned is, and, I'm, and I kind of learned this the backwards way, is <laughs> that if you install like Fedora Atomic or Fedora Cloud, it, like my DigitalOcean instance, it installs Cockpit by default, but it installs it in a mode where Cockpit is configured for you to connect to it over SSH. Oh, interesting. Yeah, super interesting because I'm, I'm going to have SSH listening mm-hmm. on my droplet, right? And so you can you can log into Cockpit over SSH, which is, I think, super awesome. And uh, anyways, just sort of double down my, my, my um, sort of deep dive into this, kind of expecting it to be a little underwhelming. And at every turn where I was trying to figure out, well, how did they solve this problem? I went, oh, shit, they really, they really thought this through. And what's great about it is it's something you can deploy yourself. You can put Fedora Atomic um, or maybe they call it Fedora Cloud. I can't remember. Um, you can put it on a DigitalOcean droplet and you can manage containers this way. Uh, they also use Kerberos for single sign-on if you have that. They have uh, authentication tools that you can use to help replace the back-end authentication completely if you want. Uh, it's it's well thought out and uh, it's layered, which kind of matches the, the Linux system in general, where it uses user permissions and policy kit, and the, it becomes an it becomes an alternative Linux session itself. So it's it's bound by SE Linux, and I just you know it's it's not Webman, it's not Webman of years past that I had come across. It is a legitimate tool to manage a server that's really been well thought out, and I was impressed by the security architecture of it. So if you Want to be impressed by Fedora on a server, which I know is a, a, kind of an oxymoron for a lot of you, but it's interesting. The cockpit is it's, it's such a great way to manage a Fedora server. Yeah, I know. I mean, it makes me 
want in on other things. <laughs> Maybe there's a way to do it. I haven't really investigated Because it does seem very approachable. You know, especially people who mm-hmm. aren't like yeah, the you know, maybe they sysadmin some of the time, but they want they know the changes they need to make. But yeah. oh, I don't remember which flag yeah. that is. Yeah, or if uh, you this is this is another one uh, that I well, I was picturing while I was going through this was like, gosh, you know what I would use the hell out of this for is back in the day, I would set up test systems for developers, and then they would have to ping me to do things like restart a service or restart the box, and then I would have to stop whatever I was in the middle of SSH in, and you know, not a big deal, but if I could have given them a login to cockpit where they could see all of their containers and they could go in there and turn them off and turn them on and essentially to them it would just be applications. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would have been so nice, man. So I, I could see Cockpit. Uh, I, I could have seen some uses for it back in the day. Now, now uh, I just was like, well, okay, if I got this running on Fedora, well, let's put uh, let's put SabNZB in here. Boom, container SabNZB. I'm like, oh, shit, that was really easy. Hmm. All right, let's try a mumble container. Boom. Oh, oh man, that was crazy easy. Like, <laughs> this is great. And then you get you get also you get performance charts and metrics and information right there in Cockpit. It's a good tool. It's a really good tool. So server side, Chris, maybe he's coming back in this age oh, of containers. I tell you what, I, I, I there is something about it. It's it's, it's uh, sort of sort of feeling good, like I'm scratching an itch that's been yeah. on my back for a while. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I finally got a back scratcher with. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you heard me mention it's a great way to play around with this stuff. DigitalOcean. Go over to DigitalOcean.com and use our promo code Unplugged. That's one word. You apply it to an account after you create it. I know that's tricky, but the reason for that is is because it's like a $10 credit they apply. Well, it's exactly what it is. So they're applying it. They need an account to apply it to. And once you have $10... You can you can get surprisingly far with DigitalOcean. First of all, they got a five dollar a month droplet, five hundred twelve megs of RAM, a twenty gigabyte SSD, one CPU, a terabyte of transfer. They have all SSD storage for all of the rigs, but it starts at five dollars a month. Then it goes up from there into just phenomenally huge systems, hundreds of gigs of RAM, tons of CPU cores, whatever you need. And one of the things that's super nice is the flexibility with the storage. You can attach block storage, itty bitty, like uh, you know, like I think like a gigabyte is the smallest number. I don't think I've ever attached one that small, but you can go up to sixteen terabytes, which is what matters. To me and it addresses on your system as a block storage device. It's brilliant. I love it. And it makes ex- expanding storage on a DigitalOcean droplet dead simple, which means once you get into something, you get going, you're like, geez, I can't believe how much headroom I have on the system. I spun up a, a $5 a month droplet and I thought I could only do one thing. Now here I am doing three different things on it and using up my storage. You attach block storage easy. No problem. And another thing, I, the other thing I want to mention about it, it's a great way to play with complex file systems because you can you can format them. You could do ZFS. You could do ButterFS. It's a great way to learn too. Something else they've recently rolled out. They have a great infrastructure. They're always making improvements to it and integrating it in with their dashboard. Is cloud firewalls, forty gigabit e connections into the hypervisors, data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany. They probably are going to build one on the moon one day. But what I really love is they're building in cloud firewalls at the network level. You'll have a central location to define access rules, apply them to all of your droplets, and then DigitalOcean enforces those rules at the network layer so the traffic never even hits your droplet. You never, you don't even waste a millisecond of CPU time trying to process those packets. They do it for you at the network level all through that super sweet dashboard. And then they have an API that makes it all smooth as butter. DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code Unplugged. A big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Unplugged program. DigitalOcean.com. Unplugged. Thanks, DigitalOcean. Now, Wes, I'm wondering if you heard the big news this week. There is a reason why Ike's joining us. It's not, I mean, other than I'm sure he just loves to catch up with his buddies, Chris and Wes. 
But uh, no, it's uh, it's because Solus is going to have some big growth coming down. Or they, I mean, like they haven't already, which is funny. It's sort of, but I think it's all about. I think it's all about to look um, like uh, like small potatoes compared to what could be coming. So uh, Josh did a blog post over on the Solus Project site, and uh, welcoming a new uh, team member, Stefan. I think I'm saying his name probably right to the project, and then a little bit down in the uh, post drops the big bomb that I think is going to have huge ramifications for Solus, and announced that Ike is going to become a full-time Solus developer in about four weeks. Hey yo! So I heard a little bit on uh, Late Night Linux last night about it, um, and of course, see there, see there, they they, uh, they don't want to gush about Solus too much, but here I'm all about that. <laughs> so we're gonna <laughs> let's dig into this Ike. Like first of all. Uh, congratulations, and it must have been kind of a hard choice. You've you got a, I imagine, a pretty good gig at Intel. Yeah, I mean, you've you've got to weigh the pros and cons, but I, you know, eventually it comes down to: do you want to follow your dreams, or do you want to wait a few years and regret not having done them? <laughs> you know, it sounds well it sounds almost cliche, but I I completely concur. I, it's been about six years, I think, five or six years since I quit my full time IT consulting gig, which paid much better to do Jupiter Broadcasting full-time because I just knew I would really regret it. I would just really kick myself down the road. So it's it's with that sort of lens, I look at the situation, I'm very excited and very happy for you, Ike. But uh, this, this, is, uh, this is often, in my experience, a transitional moment for an open source project when the, when the founder of the project or a key member of the project is able to shift to full time. I think it I think it's made big big improvements and big changes for elementary as they've made some of those shifts. There's other projects out there I, I could name drop but it's kind of pointless. I think it's going to be it's going to be uh, a huge shift for Solus and I, I you must already I know you still have 4 weeks at your old job and I know you got to be focused on wrapping that up but your mind must already be running very, 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 very fast on all the different things that might happen, all the directions you might go. Where are you at? How are you doing this? What is what is sort of the first couple of steps for you? So I'm not asking you way down the road, but like, are you gonna are you are you setting up like a like an office situation where you're going to be working every day? Like, what is like the first few steps you're going to take, and then we can the future stuff. We'll just see where that comes. But like, what's next? Well, I mean, I work from home anyway, mm-hmm. so. In some ways, there won't won't be that many changes. Um, the first thing is doing, you know, the legal boring side of it. You know, the setting up as a limited company, oh, all God. that, <laughs> all that crap. You know, just to protect me from that one guy and his Chrome install. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, the the very first things that change is the cadence of the project. So what I'm doing now is I'm using energy between effectively two full-time jobs. And while I've done a lot to date and the cadence of the project has been pretty good to be fair. Now it's basically, it's going to be my bread and butter and it's going to be like my nine to five, if you like, but without the connotations of a nine to five. So I will be putting all of my work energy just into solace. So instead of, you know, like having those two or three hours at the end of the night, I now have all of the day to be doing that every day so first thing i'll be doing is storming through uh the issues that we already have and working on refining some of those stuff the the, after that you know things that i've wanted to do in the past but 
might have fought against for how they might be perceived or whatever. I'm, I'm kind of freer to do a few things now with Solus. Um, there's risks that I can take. And essentially, it's, it's applying the startup culture to Solus in, in a big way. Well, here's here here was my first take when when you announced the news. Um, I think you'd probably acknowledge that uh, a lot of the criticism that projects like Solus and others, even Mint, they take on is one guy can't do all this. He hmm. can't possibly hmm. he can't possibly do all this, and uh, at some point he's going to burn out and uh, he's going to have to quit. And um, I think you probably just told all those people to shut the hell up with this move because essentially what you said is – to me, what yeah. it seems like you're saying is, well, when the rubber hit the road and I had to make a decision, I chose Solus. Is that sort of what happened? No, I mean – so, I mean, to be clear, you know, it's uh, – this is a transitional movement. It's a, it's a personal decision, you know, like I've enjoyed my job now for four years this month. I've absolutely loved it. The, the thing for me is deciding what I want next out of life. You know, I'm, I'm not in a position now where I have to choose anything. It's something I voluntarily want to do. Call it an easing of the soul, if you will. Uh, it is something that I feel like I want to do. And it's something I feel like I should do because, again, this is, this is my passion. It's something I believe in. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in terms of how people view the project, you are going to have that connotation around the project. Uh, you know, oh, well, he's only doing it as a hobby, you know. And to an extent, people are only going to take you so seriously, but not not fully. So for me, this is like, well, you know, I'm fully committed to, to this project and the community around it. I am going to make this thing run circles, right? And there, there's already been a positive uptake by the community as well. So on our Patreon page, you can see, since just, I mean, the I basically dropped it to them privately as a patron only post, and I told them, you know, like, well, first of all, I actually kind of clickbaited them first. <laughs> um, I said exciting news coming and told them nothing. <laughs> so I know I left it off. Yeah, I left it off for about. Well, I did that on Google Plus later. I'd already done it on Patreon, right? So I did that for about four hours or something. <laughs> recorded late night Linux, went back, and I basically told them about it. The reaction was overwhelmingly positive. There wasn't a single negative comment about it. And then the beautiful thing that I saw was people was like, well, you know what? You're committing to it, so we're going to up our commitment as well. And since then, the Patreon has jumped up like about $250 suggested because people have taken it upon themselves. Like, well, if you're all in, we're all in. And that, you know, like for me, the last few days have been very emotional, to be honest with you. Yeah. You know, just having people believe in that you can do it. That's got to feel good. Life change. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it validates a lot of things as well. But when people have faith on you, I mean, take everything else aside, you know, take finance aside and take the methods way you're doing things. For people just to believe in what it is you're doing, that that alone is empowering. Yeah. And it also means that uh, in a very real way, your success personally and the ability to feed yourself is now tied to the success of the project, which – not that you weren't 100% committed, but I think it just removes any doubt in in observers' minds. And that's probably why you're seeing an uptick there because, you know, I, I, I kid you not, Ike, uh, after you made the announcement, I myself was like, well, I better make sure I'm on their Patreon. And <laughs> I went there and go, oh, good, I already, I already <laughs> yeah. was. But I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I, I just, you know, even though I'd been seeing your posts on Patreon, like my first response is, well, I got to go double check that I'm, you know, because that was how I felt immediately. It's like this... This is going to be a way for you to be able to keep doing this, I would imagine. So I should just say right now, patreon.com slash solace. 
Yeah, I mean, the, the main thing for us is, as I said, you're going from those couple of hours a day. Now, I'm, I'm not trying to blow me on Trump or anything, but what we've managed to achieve as a project already in a fairly small amount of time when you look at the grand scale of projects, I, you know, yep, I will. we've repeatedly been told that everything that we've done, we've repeatedly been told that it's impossible, yeah. you can't do that, you'll burn out, this isn't how projects work. <laughs> What do you mean is independent? Who are you based on? You know, like we've already done the impossible. We've basically bootstrapped this project and now it's at a point. It's not like I'm, I don't want to say I'm completely financially relying on souls. I don't want people thinking, oh, now he's going to be scared to make decisions. Quite the opposite, you know. Um, To put it semi-crudely, this is basically retrofitting the balls of a Volvo S back onto (laughs) souls. (laughs) <laughs> because that was a ballsy project, and that's effectively what I'm doing here. I'm going back, if effectively back to roots with it. Mm. Hmm. So that's an interesting you know, perspective on it. Yeah, it, it mean, almost matters more than ever now. Was. It matters more than ever now. In well, a way. It, yes and no, right? So there, there are some people who would say, you know, like we are dependent on this. This has got to be this way. Obviously, I've made sure I can make the transition, and that were anything to go wrong, that I was still covered to do it. And I've made sure it's a safe time in which to do. But yeah, I mean, people are basically then paying me to work on Solus. It's not like it's a hobby thing and it's just, you know, the usual. We'll cover our hosting costs, right? It's quite literally keeping the lights on now. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I guess I don't – I couldn't – I can't really put my hands on it. But for some reason, I, I feel I feel different as a Solus user. So I've uh, – I've been I've been just reconsidering all kinds of things about the Linux desktop recently. I got a long list, and the desktop and, and distro I use is one of them. And uh, I just I really I just I really really appreciate the so just as an aside. If Ike wasn't here, I would say this, and Wes, I think you would agree. I would say this in our Slack channel too. I uh, I feel like Solus has a, a unique take and, and tackle on building a great desktop Linux. Like, and it's not it's not a great. It's not a great VPS OS. It's it's not a great OS to run in VirtualBox, but it is a great OS to run on my XPS 13. And it's a great one to run on my desktop with a nice 2K screen. It's it's like it's it's it is Ike Ike you yourself are aware of issues in the desktop world that most users don't think of and you're fixing them in Solus before they're even a problem. It almost feels like in some ways like I could make a, a comparison to like what some people view elementary OS as for the beginning Linux user. Solus is kind of that for your like advanced particular Linux yeah, user. Yeah, although it's simple enough that it's applicable to new users. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, and I guess so I say all of that to also say one of the reasons why we talk about it on this show so much is because in the 11 years or 12 years, whatever the hell it is now that I've been doing Linux podcasts – it's one of the distributions that stands out to me as a strong performer, rapid growth, huge community, quick quick and large community adoption, I should say, a well-spoken, um, well-communicated team who has clear blog posts that clearly explain what the project's goals are and what they're working on. And then – and now I can add to that entire list a reputation of following through on commitments – on on what they're doing when they went like when you said you're going rolling it's it's a rolling method that actually works pretty well for me it's not it's not totally crazy and it's also not haphazard it's like at certain times new updates come down for me and it works like it's mm-hmm. fine it's working like everything you've committed to and now in a sense in a, uh, at a whole other level is uh, so far checked out 
Those are five. Those are five attributes that I don't say I could apply to many distros. You can say a lot of distros have been around for a long time. They've had a good slow burn. They have a great reputation. They have a huge deployment. You can give different attributes, but there are a lot of unique characteristics to the Solus project that have kept it on my radar essentially since the project, well, got a new name. I think the best way to summarize it with Solus is. When we started out, I mean, back in, you know, like when it was evolving the West days, because in some senses, you've kind of got to ignore what came before because it was like the, the first attempt and then wanted to go independent because by that time, it's like you'd learned the things that you wanted to do with it, right? So then we have the, the lifetime really starting with Evolve OS. And we were very adamant from day one that we were building an OS, we, we weren't telling people that we were building a distro and we was very, very adamant with that messaging to everyone. And it became kind of meme-worthy after a while. <laughs> but once we'd got all of that nailed down, because one of the things that I had learned from my previous experiences was how to say no. And I had to be efficient with saying no. And it was something I hadn't said before. And that was what con- contributed to past failures. Now, this time around, it's like, this is exactly what we're doing. This is what we define it to be. I don't care about all these other things, you know, package management and servers, <laughs> you know, the usual controversial stuff you hear from me. This is what we're building. So wait, 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 wait. So now say, we're rel- uh, So when you say no, can you can you expand that? When you say no, it's like when people when people say, well, I mean, because I, I, I'll, I'll just play devil's advocate. You, you know, hmm. you have Plasma desktop, you have Mate desktop. There's a lot of different flavors now. It, it seems like saying no would have been, no, we're just going to do Budgie and all of our resources are going to go into that. That was So my version of no is effectively a tool of scope limitation. So when I'm working on something, it's like, okay, at this current state, we can't do such and such and such. We need to do only this. This is what we must focus on for now. We pretend other things don't even exist until this is done. And when we first started out, you know, our scope was limited to supporting Budgie because at the time that was where our tooling, our technology, our basis, our process was at. And then as time goes by, well, you know, it stopped being just Evolve OS. We'd gone in, <laughs> evolved into Zolus. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. No, you're allowed. You're allowed. I, I think you yeah. are allowed, so yeah. <laughs> we'd evolved into Zolus, if you like. And then by that time, it was the OS itself which was taking precedence in some senses. We made this mental differentiation between the, the operating system and the face, as I kind of renowned for calling it. So Budgie became the face. And at that point, it's like, we we have all this stuff. We know how to rapidly deploy a rolling OS at this point. It's like, okay. At that point, it became, let's legitimize as a distro as well. So instead of just being an OS, because we weren't being assuming with most of our decisions, you know, like it's not, you don't feel belittled or anything or the the, the questions asked of the installer and thing, you don't think it's trying to chastise you or anything like that. So there's no limitation on skill levels with the way it works. You can use a terminal Equally, you can go and use this thing. So it's like, okay, at this point, we have all our basics down. We've covered everything we want to be, but we still have this OS that other people want to use. And at that point, it became about also legitimizing as a Linux distribution as well. So it stopped becoming just being an OS. It became legitimized as a Linux distribution that is used as an operating system. So that's when those two bits merged together conceptually. And then that's when you started getting the other desktops and slightly more tangent use cases coming along with it. Hmm. But they're all done in a way that's improved everything else. Mm -hmm. Like everything that came in improved something else. Like the initial introduction of Steam 
I never intended to go off and create all this gaming runtime and Linux Steam integration and patching this and the performance. But it, it became something of a, again, a natural evolution. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's going to get really old soon. Yeah. <laughs> but then that forced us to basically make all of our processes better by doing that. So our support for um, what we call Emule 32, which is basically the 32-bit libraries, it became first class to yeah. the point where you just set an Emule 32 yeah. in a package build and boom, off it went. Huh. A lot of the things that we include, we do in that way. So we integrate them, they work well, and they improve something else as a consequence. Like we refine the core project and the core code base as a result of them. Yeah, and fair enough. It's, uh, you know, just as going back to the Steam thing, for example, it's a it's a serious uh, differentiator of Solus in it. Out of again, a lot of distros I try, it makes for a really smooth out of the box experience. When it, I, the stupid term, I hate that term, but it makes for a smooth experience when trying to play games. When you just want to sit down mm-hmm. and play some games with your kids, mm-hmm. which is how I pretty much play games now, is when my kids are sitting over me or standing over my Dad. shoulder. Dad, can we play Race the yeah. Sun or something like that? And so I quickly install Steam and and can we play Race the Sun. And I tell you what. Uh, <laughs> When 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 something fails to load like that, it just it's so defeating as a dad. Like you're sitting there, you want to have a good like dad kid moment around Linux and all that, and it it doesn't launch, and it's just so embarrassing. It's like it's like a shameful moment. Yeah, I mean, I've had a defining moment slightly like that before. It was a few years back, and well, actually, it was at the very beginning of Evolve OS. So I was with my ex at the time. She wasn't the ex at the time, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) But then, what happened? Yeah, I mean, we didn't break up because of that. Okay. But I remember at the time that the the multimedia codec support just wasn't fully baked at the time. And shamefully, shamefully, I had to download another Linux distro, nuke and pay for the computer to oh. watch a DVD. Oh. It was mortifying. And experiences like that, they will stay with you. Yep. <laughs> and you will make sure stuff like I mean, it's a horrible term, you know, to to work out of the box, right? There's no box. I downloaded this thing. But things like that, like enabling users to get stuff done and staying out of the way because an OS is not sexy. It's not at all. Like the, the, what you're doing is you're enabling someone to do something. You're enabling a workload. You're enabling a task. You know, that it's something to be done on the OS. The OS itself, like, you, I don't believe personally you can charge for an OS. Supporting the project and what it enables around it, yes. But charging for the OS, no. It, even Windows, they're not going to be charging for it. Right. Because Apple you're enabling, Apple exactly, charges you're enabling for people to do <laughs> stuff on top of that. Yeah. You know, it's like, how do they get their applications? That becomes very important. Mm-hmm. What something that didn't yep, used yep. to be as important in Solus history, notoriously, became very important. How do you get those applications to them? How do you keep them safe when they're doing their daily stuff, when they're accessing the internet? You want to make sure that they're up to date and, more importantly, that they're informed as well that they are being updated, that updates are available, that this is a good process. So you're slowly educating them with good practices over time. So those become the core considerations of the OS, not the OS itself. Like it's interesting to me uh, and to Linux guys, like how it works internally, but it's what we enable people to do. It's not the OS itself. Mm -hmm. That's what should be important. And I think that's now one of the defining characteristics of Solus. What can we enable our users to do and what experience do they deserve at the end of it? 
That makes me wish we had introduced the show with clips of the episode. That would be the highlight of this episode. No kidding, right? <laughs> and that's that's what I really like. That 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 philosophy does come through in a subtle way, but it's in like it's like fifteen to one hundred and twenty five different subtle ways when you start using Solus, and each one of them is a complete message that essentially I think reflects the philosophy that Ike just laid out there. And so I guess I was thinking about it as you as you were talking here, Ike, and. I wonder, do you think that in some ways this is just sort of like now that this is going to be your full-time gig, proportionately, this feels like every like you're just getting started. Like you've, you're really just getting started right now in some sense. Yeah. I mean, what I've been lucky enough to have been able to have done what I've done um, effectively is part-time, right? That's, that's basically what I've done. I've done it in part-time and I've had I've had colleagues, I've had my, my teammates, I've had a community, which is now at a point where we've got so many patches coming in, I'm going to have to start having more gatekeepers to get the patches in on time, right? <laughs> but obviously me working full-time, I, I'm going to be able to do that more quickly. But yeah, now now all the pieces are there. I've got the deck of cards. Now I need, just need to build the house, right? That's a bad example. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you not do the that house on purpose? Of cards. <laughs> They're just, they're really, you know, they're uh, really structurally sound cards. It's fine. Yeah. Don't look yeah, too deep. Yeah, yeah. They're like weighted. Super glue. Yeah. Super glue, right? <laughs> um, no, we use wooden planks that look like cards, and then we've got iron rivets on them. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I am now just getting started out. There's so much I want to do, and I'm excited by it as well because. It's four weeks from now, but also it's like, it's four weeks away. (laughs) It's a whole four weeks. But once that comes, I mean, again, it's back to that word, cadence. What we're going to be able to do is probably should (laughs) terrify other projects. Yeah. (laughs) What we're going to achieve. Because if if it's taking that long, then you can dense that. I can do this every single day, as well as doing the usual stuff, you know, like uh, dealing with bugs and making sure that, you know, you still stay in touch with the community. It's one thing I've always done, you know, Reddit, Twitter, wherever. I'll always try and engage with the community because I'm not above them, you know. And especially now, you know, I work for them, right? But there's so many projects that I haven't started, you know, we're going to be able to get it done, you know. For me, this is now where Solus breaks out. We spent all this time building this engine. We designed this engine. I'm now confident that that engine works. Yeah, wow. That, Let's go take off. <laughs> I, I'm so excited about that. I, I really can't wait to watch it. And uh, I hope you keep us uh, updated on what, what happens. I'll be keeping it. Oh, yeah. Days. Now I, I got, mean, I need the PR now. I have uh, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> right, yeah. I have the uh, – I have to ask. You don't have – I don't know if you can comment or have an opinion. But can you talk at all about what this means for the Clear Boot Manager or Clear Linux in general? I mean, obviously, like – I'm. That side of it, yeah, I'm very sad for that's happening. So I'm transferring what projects I have into the Clear Linux organization on GitHub. Mm-hmm. Now, for projects like Clear Boot Manager, as much as I obviously won't own them, they're Intel projects, I'm going to be sending pull requests to them. You know, I'm still going to be contributing to them. Um, so the, it's going to continue co- to use it? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Neat. Um, huh? I, I want to be clear here. I mean, there's there's no animosity or anything like this involved here, you know. Uh, there's a lot of sadness at work because, you know, like... I've been there four years. The It's almost like a family at this point. Mm-hmm. I've been very honored to work with some incredibly talented people. And I'm not just saying that, you know, the the usual BS you hear, you know, like uh, <laughs> some gangster great. was shot, but he was great. He was lovely. You know, it's not that, <laughs> right? You know, stuff. But I've really enjoyed myself. And for me, it took me from a, a hobbyist open source contributor four years ago 
to an engineer, someone who can rationalize the design process and give real solutions, not give solutions where problems aren't present, but consider the problem that's already there. Mm. And for me, it's changed me a lot. So for the, the projects, because there is a bit of a special relationship, really, if you look at it between Clear Linux and Solus, as much as I am the, the common denominator there, there's there's a lot of shared philosophy in certain senses in the way that a distribution should be built and, you know, focusing on the task at hand. And I, I'm not going to sacrifice that. Again, it's open source projects, and you see that as an example. I mean, I'm not here shilling, but often, too often you'll hear people complaining about a so-called corporate-backed project not doing open source things right. Well, this is an example with Clear Linux of it being done right because there is that collaborate, uh, collaboration? collaboration and there is that crossover. There is that sharing of patches and, you know, the slightly aligned philosophies. So that stuff will still continue. You know, yep. basically the, the the patches and the PRs that I send, they'll just come from a different email address. I, I'm still quite happy to use that technology. I'm proud of it. You know, I was involved in it for yeah. a long time. Yeah. And and uh, it's interesting, too, because, you know, it's a, it really – I think it's a, a point well made that uh, it helped you sort of uh, become an engineer in a sense that allowed you to – to build something in a way that I think a lot of hobbyists maybe don't build it. And it also made me realize in some senses this is really your – Solus is really – It's of course, it's an evolution. <laughs> but it's really your third go too because you've got Evolve OS, Clear Linux, Solus. It's not like it's like the first time you've tried this either, which explains probably why mm. it's fairly well put together. Right, yeah. You've learned that. a lot obviously. Yeah. Yeah. I mean by this time it started off in the old days, you know, contributing to Linux men, you know, I'm very thankful for the times I had there as well, you know. Yeah. I know people might think there's animosity there. There isn't really, you know, like – Yeah. I think the guys nowadays they're they're servicing their community, and to me that's important for any distribution to be servicing their community. Um, so started off humble beginnings all the way back there. We had Linux Mint Debian edition, then eventually I went my own way with Solus OS. Um, I was contributing to Peppermint back there. I was in talks with the Crunchbank guys. They was using some of my stuff back oh, then. Mm-hmm. You know, you go all through the history. I mean, to give you an idea, my Freenode IRC account is over seven and a half years old, and that's the second account I've <laughs> that's had. A, that's a good nerd brag. I yeah. like that. <laughs> right. that's, that's a proper nerd brag. Right? Yeah. And then you had Solar Swiss 2. Eventually, then we had this break, you know, this six or seven months or so away from it all. Um that was actually after I had started with Intel, funny enough, that Solus OS itself was, and I hate to use the term, but put down. You know, like things took a bad turn during those days because I had come to the point then where I realized the stuff that I want to achieve is a Linux distribution. I think we all know now the only way I can achieve what I need to do is an independent distribution. And I tried it with the upstream. And, you know, over multiple revisions, you know, it's like V1, V2, V3 of the spec. We finally got to a point where Evolve OS is like nailed it. And we got the right people in the community coming forward, that community building around it. So I would like to say I'm a fairly experienced distro engineer by this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I think so, and I think it shows. And i i think uh, I think it's uh, I think it's a good investment uh, if you're uh, a Linux desktop user. I think you should go to Patreon.com/slash/Solus. Uh, he's got uh, 301 as we record. I think we should bump that up a little bit. And if you've already got a, a Jupiter Signal Patreon or Unfilter, uh, you uh, you got all the details you need. Just go over to Patreon.com/slash/Solus. 
and become a contributor I'm in myself. And uh, even if you're not, you know, don't use it every day. I think it's just really yeah. good for the Linux ecosystem. This is the kind of sustainable I, exactly. OS development that it's, we need. That's uh, it's that's one of the reasons why I'm also a patron of uh, the Bcash FS developer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't use Bcash FS, but I think it's really important for desktop Linux. And uh, so I'm a I'm also a patron of Bcash FS, which is another one I recommend. And by the way, if you become a patron, Patreon.com/slash/solus. Uh, you get access to 27 Patreon-only posts. Now, some of them are going to be old, but the reason why I mention that is it shows you that IKEN folks are clearly engaging with their patron community. So the perks are actually worth it. You get, as a, as a Solus patron, like uh, you sometimes can get access to ISOs a little early, or you just get an idea of what's coming down, like information about the new App Center. It's 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 nice. It's nice as a user of the distribution to have access to this kind of stuff, and they actually give you value. Patreon.com slash Solus. For people supporting us, I will just say one more thing. You're not just supporting Solus as is. You're supporting our efforts and other projects as well. So, I mean, Brisk Menu, not quite because, you know, our beloved Wimpy is actually supporting Brisk Menu. But we've got projects that, you know, there's upstream contributions to Gnome, to Mate, there's software that we have that's used everywhere else you've got the budgie desktop as well that that mm-hmm. supports um the the mate slate notification theme uh linux driver management which is becoming quite sexy to arch derivatives so they'll end up using that as well <laughs> nice. so there's there's a whole slew of that stuff around there and if you are our patrons obviously you're supporting us and enabling us to do this we will keep bribing you with secret ISOs and stuff, <laughs> so you do Very get nice. goodies. Ooh. Very nice. Yeah, I think it's, I you know, I I think it's, uh, I think Patreon is becoming a good way to support folks like Ubuntu Mate, like the Bcash FS developer, like Ike, uh, and the entire Solus project. I think uh, and Jupiter Broadcasting, and I think it's, I think it's because it's not because uh, people want to make money off the internet. It's because having. Um, patron-funded either content or software development aligns the goals of the project or the broadcaster with the intentions, expectations, and goals of the patron. And not the advertiser or not a donor or... Yeah, there's no third party. It's just you <clears throat> and them. It's it's a very clean, honest con- uh, you know, uh, incentive and reward system that uh, I think works particularly well in both content creation and in open source software development. So it's if you've been resistant to Patreon in the past, I would ask you to reconsider, not just because obviously it's in my best interest, but because I also think it's a way for us to get to sustainable software development for things that large corporations or, or whatever don't find a particular motivation to invest in, where we as end users who have typically been underrepresented because Linux itself is underrepresented, have been just left to suffer, we now have a way to directly vote with our wallet that is is completely unrelated to market share or strategic goals of Google or Apple or Microsoft and and is directly connected to what we want to see happen on the Linux desktop or in Linux content creation, etc. And I think that is one of the biggest things that we're not really discussing because it sounds over-self-serving if I talk about it too much. But uh, with... Now that I can plug Ike's Patreon, I have an excuse to say that, patreon.com slash solace. Great work, Ike. Very excited for you as somebody who also, you know, uh, quit a very great job to do this, to do this passion project. I think it's 
It serves the soul, and when you end up doing what you love, you invest more in it than you, you work harder than you ever have, which almost seems like an impossible statement for me to say to you right now because you've worked so hard already. But I can tell you, you'll work harder than you ever have, and it'll be more rewarding than it ever has. So I'm very excited yeah. for you. Yeah, we're excited Thank to you. see what comes of it. Thank you for joining us, Thank too. <clears throat> Congrats. It's just so, it's, it's, I feel I'm like it's a birthday yeah. or like a baby's been born it's or something. It's a <laughs> Okay, so I also want to talk about a very exciting project that is uh, bringing something that's been locked down to Windows users or proprietary device users, uh. and now it's available to all of us. And uh, it's much further along than I expected and much easier to get started with. But, uh, you know. You're talking about Windows Defender, right? We can run that on Linux <laughs> thank now. Thank you. And- yes, I, you know, that is actually a story. You know, you do know that. I do know that. He does know that because it was one of the stories we discussed covering in this show. So he knows. And I, I just like, to my, when I saw that, that is such a clickbait. When I saw that, Wes, I was like, that's that's brilliant clickbait. Right I mean, there. the old IT admin in you, you yeah. want those firewalls. You couldn't find a great one on the Do you know what the funny nuanced story th- thing about that guy that got all that working? Do you know what the funny thing is? He's a Google employee. Yeah, that's right. Did you know that? Uh-huh. You did? <laughs> all right. So let's talk about your mind for a second. Let's go a little Ben Folds. Let's go. Let's talk about your mind. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Go there to support the show and sign up for a free seven-day trial. Linux Academy, Linux Academy is like um like a like a like a classroom in the sky, like a like a like an academy, like some sort of academy, but in the sky that you connect to telepathically. How about that? Is that Cloud Academy? Wait, oh, hold on, I'm getting a note here. Uh, no, that is not correct. That is not how I should. It is a platform, and it does teach you about Linux and all the things around Linux that you would want for your. But it is not actually an academy in the sky. I think I was. I think in. I think I was thinking of uh, Iron Man. Anyways, mm, yep, LinuxAcademy.com/slash/unplugged. You go there, you support the show, you get a seven-day free trial, and you can see really how it works. Get a little taste of the hands-on labs or the learning pass. The practice exams, which I want to talk about more here in a second, or the video courses, self-paced, in-depth video courses on every Linux cloud and DevOps topic. They have a vibrant community stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members that are there to help you learn and enrich their experience. And they do that through parts of the Linux Academy experience that are actually forkable by the community. And if you're busy, and I understand, especially as a father of three and a small business owner, you can be very busy. It's hard to fit this stuff in. That's why I really appreciate the Linux Academy course scheduler. You can pick a course. And then there'll be a time frame that you can work with. You set that up. It'll help you keep with that. It'll set goals for you along the way so it can be flexible. And if you ever get stuck and need help, instructor mentoring, a real human being is available. And if you're on the go, if you've got some downtime on community transit or if you're a passenger in a carpool, check out their iOS and Android apps to study on the go. They have cloud servers. They spin up when you need them, USSH in. They have nuggets, which are their cute way of saying if you just got a little bit of time or you just want to do like a single topic, maybe you've got two hours and you want to do it like it's five minutes to two hours. Like you got some time, a little bit of time, single topic, deep dive, and then you got study guides you can download and take with you. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Also, the blog's got a uh, what to expect when you're testing for the Red Hat uh, exams. They have a whole rundown of what practice exams you should take, how to prepare yourself beforehand, all of it. It's, it's nice because I know that's popular in the audience and this is a good way to get ready. And you don't even have to really subscribe to Linux Academy to read the blog. Yeah, you'll get a taste of it right there. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring this here podcast. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. A platform for learning more about Linux by Linux enthusiasts. So Moonlight... Um, it's not like a uh, 
like a, a project to run mono on Linux. It's not. Uh, like, that's what I was hoping for. Where you was? Yeah, yeah. Lots of demand for that mm-hmm. these days. Remember mono, everybody? What a big deal that was. Uh, so Moonlight is an open source NVIDIA game stream client. Now stick with me. Stick with me. Because I actually think this is a huge deal. Because it takes uh, the NVIDIA GeForce streaming crap that you could only you could only the G, the game stream. That you could like stream to a couple of tablets and uh, the Nvidia Shield TV, which rocks. And, oh yeah, um, you would mention that. Yeah, and like you know, like I think a Windows like it was, it was like it, it, it was something that Steam kind of worked on, but some people say this is nicer, and it was something that Linux users just couldn't get access to, and it kind of bugs me because I've thought about my kids have asked it for. Because people at school tell them about these games, so my kids have been like, "Dad, we want Windows." I'm like, "Not <laughs> happening, not happening." And so the first time they asked, I was like, "Okay, we won't talk about that." The second time they asked, "Okay, he doesn't know what he's talking about. We won't talk about." It. The third time they asked, I thought, "No, nope, no, nope, we're not going to talk about that." And then the fourth time they've asked, I thought, "Well, what if I did game streaming?" Mm. So I've been sniffing around. And I found Moonlight, and I like the way it smells. It, so Moonlight allows you to stream your collection of games from a game stream compatible PC, read Windows, I'll tell you more about that oh. here in a second, to any supported device remotely. It's perfect for gameplay even on the go. Uh, you can run, you can stream to Android tablets, you oh. can stream to Macs, you can stream to Linux boxes, no of course. Way. Low latency, 60 frames per second. Yes, really. Controller support iOS, Android, you can even have a Raspberry Pi as the end streaming client. Is that right? You can turn a Raspberry Pi, I'm going to say it again, into the end streaming client. So I can just throw my Xbox just throw right, away. right in the put garbage. Put it in the garbage, Wes. Yeah. Just put it in the garbage. I got this pie. It's, put, it's put, it in the gar- <laughs> put it in the garbage here at the studio, Wes, would you? Just yeah. put it in the garbage. <laughs> yeah. Um, because the reason for this is it's it's really just using video streaming and uh, a client that it expresses back and forth the different input controls and it shows up and there's a little there's a little little piece of software that looks for the game controller and stuff and it communicates it back to the streaming PC and then it sends everything over an H.264 stream basically okay yeah uh, a GPU accelerated H.264 so that's part of the magic is the GPU on the Nvidia you have to have a system with an Nvidia GPU and I have the requirements in the show notes. And it has to be running Windows. So my vision was something that has a 600 plus NVIDIA GTX card, which is probably anything still running yeah. anymore. I mean, I'm sure that's wrong, but, you know, I mean, <laughs> One would hope. anybody that's remotely interested in playing games is probably. Has, yeah. Yeah. Um, Check. And uh, AMD's GPUs are not supported because this is an NVIDIA thing. Wah, wah. Uh, so if, and you have to have a 720p or higher display connected to the PC. Mm-hmm. No standard definition for you guys. Yeah, the one thing I'm going to test is there's there are from my Bitcoin mining days. I know there are some plugs you can put in the back of the video cards to make it think there's a monitor attached. <clears throat> so there's a display. That, uh, we'll see if that's really truly connect required. But my here's my idea is put a decent ish older, but you know decent. I've got a I've got a, ni- a, a, a GTX 970 card. I think I could put mm-hmm. in there uh, and put that in the garage. And then use this to stream to a Raspberry Pi device. Yeah, that sounds fun. Maybe. We'll see if it works. I'm not sure because I was thinking like I should have it. What kind of control are you going to go with? Ethernet. Probably this. Probably the, the well, I, I was, I guess for them, maybe actually the 360 controller. I was going to say I have the uh, Steam oh, controller. Oh, you have a Steam controller. Right. Yeah, of course. But I think actually my kids would probably do better with the yeah, Xbox 360, 360 controller. That makes sense. Um, 
I might be grasping at straws, but Moonlight to me seems like a potential project to keep my kids on Linux but give them access to a couple of games that are exclusive to the Windows platform. I don't know if a Raspberry Pi is going to do it. I, I might also experiment with the iOS apps. I think I might experiment with uh, just setting up a client on the Linux machine because there's a, there a Java client. Okay. Mm, interesting, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, which Java's working fine on their machines, so yeah, I might try right. that. And then – and this is this is what I thought, well, for shits and giggles, I might give it a try. There's also a Chrome extension to act as a client to the stream, to yeah, Moonlight Streaming. That would be convenient. It would be actually kind of great in a way. Like any system you have this on, you could theoretically connect to your Moonlight server and start gaming if you forwarded the ports on your firewall. Well, your kid's got a Chromebook. You don't really want them using your like nice work machine, <sighs> but they can use OS. your – OS. Actually, they have Chromebooks at school, so conceivably they will be bringing them home someday, I suppose, as they go up in grade. Yeah. You know, or Dylan just really needs to play Race the Sun, doesn't want to listen to the, to the instructor. <laughs> that need is real. That is a real thing. We've all been there. Yeah, of course we have. So Moonlight's the project, uh, moonlight-stream.com if you want to check it out. And yes, they support uh, – so when you go – when you try it out, you can see, yeah, Chrome. And then they have a Java client that works on Linux and Windows and Mac. And then they have the Raspberry Pi uh, particular, like, image. So it's like – it's I, which – fascinates me because if it makes it really easy appliance like then i'm then like anytime they have an issue like well dad just gives you a new sd card with a new raspberry pi because i got like two of them sitting right here here you go kids that fixes it plug that in and then problem solved like if if the raspberry pi thing works and it's super appliance like that could be a game changer for this whole thing because then it takes my troubleshooting down to basically nothing i like that and then are you ready for this last one which i'm never going to really test out well maybe no i'm never going to test this out they have a unofficial port to the Samsung Gear VR. Oh, cool! I guess maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I would have to. Uh, I'd have to have Wimpy's. Opinion. I wonder. I, I'll be interested to see about the um, about that monitor thing because it makes me think. Like, I wonder could you could you go run this on uh, some some cloud GPU box and then oh, yeah, I don't have my nice machine on me, but I really. Mm. I'm sure the latency would be terrible, but it might be worth trying. Yeah, to me. It does – it's funny you say that because it did make me think like, well, what if I could project the entire desktop this way? And I don't know like I'd want the Windows desktop. But if you could use this – I guess it, it's reliant on on the GPU feature. So that's, mm-hmm. I mean it's driver dependent. But it would be such a great way to 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 maybe instead of use Wine to, 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 to have a Windows application like AutoCAD or something like that on Linux. Yeah. Or Photoshop or Premiere. Yeah, that's an interesting idea. Of course, yeah. you wouldn't have local file system access because it's on the remote system. You could have a mounted remote file yeah, system. Yeah, you'd have to have something. like or, – or a NAS that both, both systems are connected mm-hmm. to. That might be legit. Mm-hmm. Man. So anyways, it's, it's an open so, – oh, so anyways, OK. I'm saying that a lot. I apologize. <laughs> yeah. If you uh, take a shot, everybody – we should create a game and then uh, put it in the comments. Every time I say anyways, you have to take a shot. The thing that I was like, geez, this thing seems really How far along. How much does it cost? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, what's the, what the hell? How can something like this be this far along? How the hell did they get this to work? Uh, it's created by uh, Case Western Reserve University as a project at the MHAX Hackathon. And then it was taken from that at another hackathon in 2014, and now it's a project that uh, is ongoing. Wow. That's yeah. neat. I, I thought so, That's too. a worthy project. That's I thought great. That was, it seemed really complete. And I'm like, how the hell can this be such a thing? 
Uh, it's up on GitHub. It's open source. It's you nice can... to have it on the open because, like, the Steam streaming stuff, It's kind of, it was always like, all right, mm-hmm. well, they kind of just, like, you know, put yeah. it out there, but there hasn't been much happening with it. And then on the NVIDIA side of stuff, it's like, for me, I got, geez, if I could take a little PC with a 970 in it that has this capability and put it in the garage and it's just they never touch it and it just does, it launches these games for them. Yeah, that'd be awesome. That's super great, but I was never going to do it if I had to have it on a, if I had to have them using an Nvidia shield or a specific device that supports Nvidia game stream like I was ne- a lot less useful. That was never going to happen, but now that it can be anything from a Raspberry Pi to their Linux laptop, pff, done, done. Moonlight-stream.com if you want to check it out and if you've played around with it too, let me know at Chris LAS. I would be uh, really curious to know about how you know how that's gone for you. So uh, just a reminder, meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting if you yeah. want to come to our episode 200 meetup. It's going to be – I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I don't know how much – we'll try to stream some of it. I'll put like a camera out the window or something. So if you can't make it in person, which would be 99.9% of you. We'll try to make it. Something like will happen here. at jblive.tv. Maybe I'll just have Wes run around inside the studio. Maybe I'll just do that. That could be. You could. Like, you could chase me with the drone. <laughs> That'd be pretty good. That'd be pretty good, Wes. That actually, you know, I wonder if we could figure out a way to live stream from the drone so we can make sure that goes out on the live stream. That would be amazing. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, if you want a little more of Wes Payne, check out this week's user air. I think it was episode twelve. Or go grab yourself any recent episode of the TechSnap program. Maybe subscribe to that and get Wes every single week. Check back here on Tuesdays where we do this show live. We'd really love to have you in our virtual yeah. lug. You're welcome. We just check your mic and then we get you in. Go to jblive.tv, join our chat room, and then do bang mumble to get all the info. And join us in our virtual lug and take part of the conversation. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for being here. We'll see you right back here next week. jbtitles.com thank you mumble room yeah fantastic and wonderful as always jbtitles you know if no one was as reliable as the mumble room we wouldn't have those kinds of problems yeah we really almost made it through the whole episode without a crash so i don't think people people in the final version i don't think we made any mention of it in the show but uh yeah we had another gnome crash and uh, yes i haven't replaced it yet because honestly (laughs) i got i got other things to do like we put this in here and it's just supposed to be working yeah and it almost, it's like 90%, just works. Yeah. It really is just pretty much during the shows that it seems to crash. Like it sits here and runs over the weekend. Uh, although I suppose it could be crashing and we just don't know it because the stream does eventually come back on its own. So who really knows? So no, it can't actually do work. Well, who knows really what the cause is? And by the way, for the record, uh, I got a few people that have Arch, Snicker, Snicker, Arch. Well, that's what he gets for running Arch. <laughs> well, first of all, First of all, LTS kernel and LTS NVIDIA driver. And I suspect 
that the our and it's not like gnome has changed in the last three months so i suspect that our culprit lies somewhere in either an nvidia driver bug some something happening between OpenGL and the NVIDIA driver or OBS, OpenGL yeah. and the NVIDIA driver or something that causes GNOME to take a shit. And then when GNOME takes a shit, it reboots. And in the reboot process, Pulse Audio restarts. And the, technically the recording never stops, but we lose all audio for a bit. So we would if Pulse didn't poop out, but what happens is G, we go back to GDM. And then we go back, and then we go back to GDM, and then we go back in, yeah. and in that process, Pulse takes a shit. Um, and people have suggested we switch to every distribution under the sun. People suggested we switch to XFCE or uh, LXQ. Maybe, maybe we should just run uh, OBS in an accession, just single window, full screen. You know, maybe. I'm suggesting DOS just so people so suggested. <laughs> yeah, the only thing that hasn't been suggested is Mac OS or Windows. Pretty much everything else has been suggested. Heart and Solus. Uh, uh, how come nobody's voting? JBTitles.com. I mean, people are voting, but it's pretty widely spread out. Look at that. Holy shit. Holy shit. That's one of the widest spreads we've had in a while. We got we to gotta hone that in a little bit. Uh, get that. You spread it wide over there, Chris. Yeah. Um, juom, juom, whoop, and the lights come on because we're getting so now you can look with the lights on, you can actually see the uh, oh, yeah, look touch at that. screen. Yeah, yeah, we're getting ready for a uh, tech snap. All right, uh, so I he gets a promotion, uh, gnome's bad touch. No, that was from the pre show. Let's see, it was just so funny. Solace plugged, uh, uh, heart and solace, really, guys? That's what we're that's what. That's what we're doing? We're doing heart and soulless right now? The fuck's the matter with you guys? Come on, you know better W-T-L. than that. W-T-L. Reminds me of the Huey Lewis had the news song. 